Every human being is a series of stories. It's nice when someone wants to hear a new one. Victor Laval, The Changeling. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Devin. And today we discover that not all Once Upon a Times have a happily ever after when we discuss fairy tale horror. This episode of Books in the Freezer is brought to you by Audible. This podcast wouldn't be possible without audiobooks. So if you want some spooky stories told by some familiar voices, try Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, read by Dexter's Michael C. Hall, or The Dead Zone, read by James Franco, or podcast favorite Joe Hill's Nosferatu, read by Kate Mulgrew. For a free audiobook and 30-day trial, go to audibletrial.com slash booksinthefreezer. Happy listening! Somebody once told me. Because that's how Shrek starts. <laughs> he's in the outhouse and he's reading the fairy tale book. Wow. We're really going there to open the episode. <gasps> Do you think Shrek counts as fairy tale horror? Like a dark retelling? <laughs> okay, Lord Lord Farquaad taking the gingerbread man and ripping off limbs. That is definitely horror. That's true. <laughs> There's some dark stuff in that movie. So, possible. We'll come back to this. Yes. <laughs> what exactly is fairy tale horror as far as you're concerned i would say it's a retelling of classic folklore or a fairy tale story with a dark twist but usually since a lot of fairy tales have pretty dark origins it's sometimes more of an homage to their origins uh sometimes i mean if you're getting picky about where it goes in genre it's can be between horror and dark fantasy you know i would say the basis thing about it is that they're they're based on the traditional tales right and that's uh, a kind of a challenge of finding recommendations for this episode is that i found a lot of these retellings are really more into the dark fantasy than i would say in the horror it's just a gritty version of this fabled story that we know and i think it might even transcend more not simply just a retelling of you know, fairy tales that we are familiar with, but just certain tropes, certain archetypes, certain things can also make it a uh, fairy tale horror. And I say this strictly selfishly because my recommendation is not necessarily based on a certain fairy tale, but more like um, the author has kind of written what is kind of like his own version of an adult fairy tale. But we could talk more about that later. <laughs> So tropes, you're saying like evil stepmothers. Exactly, yeah. The things that we would associate with basically, you know, Mother Goose. The evil stepmother, the uh, the witch, the maiden, damsel in distress. Kind of what has become fantasy tropes in general, like sword and sorcery kind of things. A lot of them, if you... um, uh, <laughs> I don't know the word I'm looking for here. Not not fluff them up, but like soften the edges around fantasy, and you kind of venture into fairy tale realm. 
What's your background with fairy tales? My background with fairy tales is incredibly dark and twisted and cruel. Okay. <laughs> um, I grew up reading The Brothers Grimm before I knew who Mother Goose was. <laughs> and I'm sure it's not, you know, obscured knowledge, uh, especially for listeners of the podcast, to know that a lot of the original fairy tales that we grew up with like a lot of the ones that Disney remade and a lot of these, you know, fables that we grew up with as children, looking at their original versions, it's much darker, <laughs> much more, much more violent. Um, and yeah, so like I said, I had a, I had a, a picture book of the Brothers Grimm when I was a kid uh, and didn't know anything about, let's say, the Mother Goose version of fairy tales until I actually went to like middle school. Oh, wow. <laughs> so i was destined to be a horror fanatic <laughs> growing up basically see i grew up with my only knowledge of these kinds of stories coming from disney movies and so i was that kid in middle school that when like other kids told me like what the real ending to cinderella was i was like pearl clutchy like what no <laughs> that's not what happens are you talking with the removal of the foot yeah out of curiosity, how about The Little Mermaid? Have you read the original Little Mermaid? No, see, yeah, I I don't have a ton of familiarity with a lot of the yeah, like original folk tales and I don't know, like I never went through like a, a phase where I was into that. My sister did. Like my sister has all the the Grimm's fairy tales and she went through like a really big phase. And you know, I think Once Upon a Time also came out like when she was in high school. So it was just like destined to be uh but yeah like there's a ton that I, like people just throw out and i'm like uh like that book the house of salt and sorrows and people are like oh it's a retelling of the 12 dancing princesses and i'm like is this common knowledge like do people just know what this is because i don't i don't know what that is yeah yeah there was one book that i was uh reading in prep for this episode i didn't finish called tinder that was based on the tinderbox uh fairy tale and i had no idea what that was so I watched a, a YouTube video of it, and it is so weird. It's this soldier who's penniless. Five minutes later. And he uses the dog to steal this princess, but then the princess falls in love with him, and he lives happily ever after and is the new ruler of the town. I, it was weird. I don't know what the hell I was. <laughs> I, I think I got lost like twice in there. Yeah, I got lost a couple times by telling it, so I <laughs> don't know what the hell. So if anybody knows anything with the tinderbox and can explain it to me, I would love to hear from you. <laughs> um, but no, to, to go back, just using it as the example for the, the if anybody isn't familiar with how dark these things can get, um, I'm taking The Little Mermaid as the example because it's the most recent one I can remember. So you know the movie, right, Steph? Very familiar with the Disney adaptation. Yeah, so Ariel goes to land to meet her Prince Charming. And what was the trade-off? How, how did that come about? What happened? Uh, she made a deal with Ursula the Sea Witch for her voice. And in exchange right. for her voice, she gets to have legs. Okay, so that's kind of how it happens in Hans Christian Andersen's book. Except for in Disney, it's like this essence that comes out of Ariel's mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, in the book, she literally cuts off Ariel's tongue. Ah. And one thing they don't mention in the movie is she does get legs and she goes on land. Every single step she makes on land feels like hundreds of knives shooting up through her foot the entire time. 
it's dark. <laughs> it's very dark. But this is the kind of things that you're going to find when you go into like the the backstory because fairy tales originally were not children's tales to put them to sleep and make them feel better. It was to scare them into behaving <laughs> and like keep them on the straight and narrow or this could happen kind of thing. They were more like tales of warning than anything else. This is like that episode of Take Your Daughter to Work Day on The Office where Dwight is reading the Struval Pater stories and he tells like Toby's daughter, he starts reading her the story about like, the, it's like this German folklore thing about this demon that comes and like cuts kids' thumbs off if they suck their thumbs. <laughs> kind of, yeah. That sounds about right. But yeah, so I mean, if we look at the, just the, the origin of fairy tales, it's it's clear to see this is a very, very fertile ground for horror. Um, unfortunately, again, over decades and decades and decades, it's kind of morphed into this wholesome, childlike wonder more so than this grisly tale of warning. In terms of a contemporary fairy tale, Steph, what, what exactly do you expect going into these kind of stories? I like seeing a new version of an old story, like something that we've scene told a few different ways but with a new spin on it um maybe a twist in character povs like maybe we're seeing the protagonist of the story in a darker light or the villain of the story is the hero you know something like wicked or just like a new timeline like the same story but set today or you know in 1930s misery like i don't know (laughs) like a a new timeline a new setting what about you pretty much the same (laughs) Like, there's an aspect of this where, because these kind of stories are so near and dear to to children from all generations, basically, because they're so old now, they've most kids have grown up being introduced, at least in some way, to these kind of stories. So then they grow up as an adult and experience somebody taking a story you know so well and telling it a completely different way. Some of the best horror movies... I could think of one in particular, which is the best worst horror movie ever made, was Troll and Troll Two. And these, although not necessarily based on a specific fairy tale, the 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 the, the troll itself is a creature. And I guess that's kind of where um, I really should go with the answer is that a lot of the best horror creatures I think come out of these fairy tales because they are in the fairy tale they are designed to be monsters that are overcome. Um, so when you realize them. Um, things like trolls especially uh, can be really good solid foundations for a good scary horror tale is troll 2 the one where that guy's like they're eating her and now they're gonna gonna eat eat me me. oh Oh my my god God. (laughs) (laughs) yes there's literally a movie that's called troll 2 the best worst movie of all time it's a documentary of how bad it was Speaking of other great films <laughs> that incorporate fairy tales, you have any favorites that might fall into that category? In terms of fairy tale horror, um, I do believe, isn't A Tale of Two Sisters technically a fairy tale of some way? Like a, a legend? I don't know. I watched that recently, and I'm not sure. I watched it for this episode, and I'm like, I don't know how I would categorize this actually <laughs> there's so many different versions of hansel and gretel and cinderella that are horror movies it's almost too numerous to name yeah i noticed a lot of hansel and gretel retellings that seems to be a big horror movie ground yep one of the best 
horror movies to come out of 2010, I believe it was 20, 2010 or 2011, uh, was Troll Hunter, a found footage movie where these guys are going in uh, following this guy who they think is hunting bears, but really he's hunting trolls. And there's like four or five different types of trolls you run into in that movie. It's it's just great. Um, Rumpelstiltskin is a cool like pumpkin head kind of uh, creature. That uh, has its own movie. That was I remember watching it. It's like a B horror movie. Whew. There, there's, there's numerous because, like I said, a lot of times you the the creatures born of these these fairy tales make for really good standalone movies, mostly B movies. But you know, how about you? Well, it's not one that seems like it's a fairy tale movie, but Dario Argento described Suspiria with like what he was going for was like a very fairy tale, Snow White, you know, with all the colors. Like that's kind of what he was going for with Suspiria. Also, Tale of Tales. I know when we had the Ladies of the Fright on, this was one of their chilling obsessions, and it's on Netflix. And it's. I haven't actually gotten around to watching it yet. I think it's an anthology series, but it's basically like fairy tale horror <laughs> in movie form. And of course, Hans Labyrinth. That makes me think of uh, one. It's not. It didn't come to mind because it wasn't really based on any particular fairy tale, but Legend with Tom Cruise. I am not familiar with this. If you Google Legend, you're going to see Tim Curry's character, the giant, like, looks like a, a devil with, like, red face, horns. Um, it's a fantasy movie. Tom Cruise, I think it's one of his first movies. And yeah, it's a very fantasy esque kind of story. It's more of an adventure than a horror, but oh my God, Tim Curry as a darkness in that. It was so awesome. So I just want to point, I just, <laughs> just want to at least draw some attention want to, to point that. point out that it exists. <laughs> oh, it's Tim Curry at his finest. Um, and we know we all love Tim Curry oh, yeah. here. Uh, um, Coraline. Yeah, Coraline. Coraline, I would say. A lot of, yeah, like uh, Neil Gaiman. I feel like when I looked at a lot of the like uh, horror fairy tale anthologies, there's a lot of Neil Gaiman. He, li- he, he, he likes diving into like mythology and folklore and all that a lot. It's Gaiman's good for that. All right, so enough about movies. This is a fiction podcast. Steph. Is it? Let's get some books. Uh, well, sometimes, <laughs> yeah. All right. So the first book I want to talk about is The Changeling by Victor Laval. So this follows Apollo's journey. Um, his world's turned upside down when his wife, Emma, murders their baby. So already things are starting off kind of rough. He receives a hint of his wife's whereabouts that lead him through a strange New York fairy tale. And that's like a very condensed version of what happens in this book because there is so much that happens. And I will say this book is for people who don't mind when books take their time getting places. So there's a lot that happens in this book, but I don't want to go into too much. This is one of those books where I think going into it, the less you know, the better. That's why my synopsis was very short and very vague and even if going into it you know what the what the mythos of the the changeling folklore is I think you can still enjoy this story and I think it just has so much to say I feel like this has so much to say about generational differences and parenting and how every generation thinks that like 
you know, their parents are the ones that screwed them up. But like, don't worry, like we, our generation is like going to fix this. And it's just a cycle that keeps on going and going. Um, So I thought it was a great commentary on parenting and how that's changed and how much it hasn't changed in the internet age. So this is set in the modern day and we are dealing with, like I said, parenting in the age of social media and a lot of stuff. And as usual, Victor Lavelle writes this beautiful prose and sets this great story. And I very much enjoyed it. Like I said, for people that don't mind books that take their time, because I will say this is very slow paced. Um, As far as rating, I would say it's room temperature. Like I said, very literary, very slow paced, very character focused. You know, it's very much focused on Apollo and you know you are basically following his journey through this fairy tale and like the different creatures he has to fight and the you know different adventures he has to go through um I will say it takes a bit to kind of get to the fairy tale aspects of it I think that's a lot more in the second half of the story uh but yeah I would say room temperature and definitely recommend that is the changeling by Victor Laval Victor Laval is someone I wanted to read someone I Changeling is a book that I do own. I just never did get around to reading it. That and Black Tom. Yeah, I've heard mixed things about Black Tom from certain people <laughs> that have read it. So I'm not sure. I think Changeling might be a better one to go with, you think? I enjoyed both of them. I mean, I know I don't have a ton of connection to the horror at Red Hook, which is the story that the Ballad of Black Tom is based on. So I didn't have any, like, I didn't have any attachment going into the story. So. I don't know how that would have changed if... Ah, uh, okay. Go with a clean slate and... Yeah. Probably might be beneficial. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, he... Um, I just received like a annotated HP Lovecraft collection and Victor Lavelle wrote the introduction for that. So it's like one of those things where he's uh, like not afraid to call out HP Lovecraft's racism, but he still, you know, considers him a brilliant writer. I have so much more respect for Victor Lavelle. <laughs> not that I didn't before, but I love that idea like i have my own somewhat controversial opinions on lovecraft where i'm not justifying the xenophobia but at the same time i think it was always more of a place of fear more so than malice but that's a whole different conversation but i like that because he lovecraft did contribute a lot to the world of horror like where would we be without cthulhu right now i don't know so my pick for this episode is going to be from a you know somewhat uh, somewhat master of the genre arguably some people would argue more than others um and that's james herbert the the author of the fog uh this title is called once by james herbert and this is what i meant earlier in that it's not necessarily to my knowledge based on a certain fairy tale but more so it's narrative flow kind of feels like in uh, the adult version of what a fairy tale would be um, it follows uh, Tom Kindred, who recently has a, who has a, has a stroke, and ends up moving back to his hometown. Um, his hometown is this really rural, wooded area, um, and within this area is Castle Bracken. And I'm just going to take it from the blurb at this point of Tom's return has stirred an ancient evil in Castle Bracken, one cloaked in the guise of a friend. His only chance for survival lies in a world that he no longer believes in. And I'm going to leave it very vague like that at this point. Because like I said, this is this is a fairy tale-esque kind of story. 
um, that just goes full ham into into the world of what you expect the the whimsy the wonder but a really dark place um a very kind of mm, wondering what's real what's not kind of flow to it um and i think herbert is just a solid author to recommend regardless like again he's his contributions to the genre go back decades um so I don't necessarily think it's overly scary, as you know, no one's going to be surprised by this. Uh, I would say temperature-wise, the book is going to be closer to maybe maybe a chilled room temperature, which I think is one of my most common ratings. But this is clearly not Mother Goose, um, but you get that fairy tale esque feeling, that fa- the fairy tale sense of wonder from the world that Herbert creates in this. Um, and like I said, it's best to know the least amount you can going into it because I did find it rather predictable, especially once you pass like the halfway mark. It does get kind of predictable if you've if you're familiar with the genre, but it's still a solid read. I've actually never read anything by James Herbert. You never read The Fog? You seen the movie though? Uh, no. Everyone gets the fog and the mist confused. I was gonna say, I'm like, didn't Stephen King write that? <laughs> yeah, no, 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 the mist is even the fog is James Herbert. And the remake was god awful, but the original movie with the fog was actually pretty, pretty good. I don't know how well it stands up because I haven't seen it in like ten years, twenty years maybe, but um, I would recommend that as well. So my next pick is, I think, a little tough to place genre wise, uh, but it's the Book of Lost Things by John Connolly. And this follows a twelve-year-old David who mourns the loss of his mother and finds solace in books. But he starts hearing voices coming from the books and finds himself propelled into a world where there are all kinds of monsters and creatures and a king who keeps secrets in a mysterious book. So like I said, this, I think most people would probably place more in dark fantasy. But what I liked about this is that, you know, in Goodreads it is technically under the horror genre and I know like a lot of libraries this is shelved under horror. What I liked about this is that I feel like the horror comes from a place that really suits this subgenre where it comes from these fairy tales just going to like a very dark place. Tonally I would recommend this to fans of The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. It kind of has that same wistful nostalgic look at one's childhood and it does have its sentimental parts along with these, you know, different adventures that he goes on. You know, he is still, like I mentioned, mourning the loss of his mother and living with his father who's remarried. So like now he kind of has a stepmother and just really dealing with like what his life looks like now. So I would say like with that, I would I would definitely put this in young adult. I did love when these different stories got dark. So it does have that variety that I liked and we get just like these different kinds of stories while still all being in that like vein of the fairy tale subgenre. Ratings wise, I would put this as room temperature. It's a coming of age adventure stories where like fairy tales, the stories go to a dark place. Um, And I remember when I read this, a lot of people said it was like very disturbing and very dark. I would say if you're a horror fan, like you can handle it. It's not that dark. <laughs> it's a very good read and very enjoyable and I I do like when the stories in the book like really go further than you think they're going to go. 
but if you read like any horror at all, you can handle it. So that is The Book of Lost Things by John Connolly. Okay, and so the next pick, uh, we are going to return to a well that we've tapped once before because we have a special, special presentation of the next pick, and it is from our former host of the podcast, Rachel. So without further ado, here is Rachel. Hey, it's Rachel back again with another book recommendation. First, I have to say that I love that Stephanie and Devin are covering this topic because I think it's such a unique subgenre of horror. Personally, I think the fairy tales are pretty horrific to begin with. I'm sure it's already been discussed, but the actual fairy tales, not the Disney versions, are brutal and dark and honestly super messed up. I may have gifted a copy of Grimm's fairy tales to my nieces for Christmas a couple years ago, and I'm not sure if my sister was too impressed because they aren't really the cute bedtime stories that you normally find in the children's section. I don't normally read a lot of fairy tale retellings, but when I heard about this topic, I realized that I had the perfect book to recommend. So I want to talk about one of my favorite short story collections by one of my new favorite authors, and that is Cry Your Way Home by Damien Angelica Walters. This is a collection of speculative fiction, so it's a mixture of horror, fantasy, and a little bit of science fiction, which, if you don't know, happen to be my three favorite subgenres these days. A lot of the stories in the collection play around with the themes of femininity and female relationships, whether it be between friends or mother-daughter relationship. In many of the stories, the author uses the classic archetype of fairy tales to poke holes in our traditional roles of women in narratives. Not all of the stories in the collection centered around fairy tales, but it certainly was a recurring theme, and I wanted to highlight some of my personal favorites here. One is the first in the collection, and that is called Tooth, Tongue, and Claw, and it really set the tone for the rest of the book and hooked me in. This is a very loose retelling of Beauty and the Beast that depicts the horrific nature of this relationship between a woman and a beast that controls her. And I love the first line of the story. It goes, once upon a time, there was a monster. This is how they tell you the story starts. This is a lie. And wow, I was hooked in from that. And the rest of the story was just as good. I really like that one. It's a little more ambiguous, very lyrical. All of her stories have this lyrical, beautiful writing to them. And I was just so impressed. The next story in the collection was another favorite, and that one is called Deep Within the Marrow, Hidden in My Smile. And this is a different take on the classic stepsister story, which of course is a classic in fairy tales. I don't want to get too much into it because it's one you really want to experience for yourself, but I'll say that it had a great unexpected ending that really didn't go where I expected it to, which is always something I appreciate. Finally, I want to mention one more short story, and that one is called A Lie You Give and Thus I Take, and it had one of the best quotes in the entire collection. It starts by saying, don't be fooled by the breadcrumbs in the forest. This is not a fairy tale. And despite that beginning, of course, the story did involve fairy tale tropes being turned on their heads. And it involved this sickly, sweet, romantic, toxic relationship. And these stories just kind of give you a sample of what's in the collection. I personally am not the hugest fan of 
very literal retellings of fairy tales because frankly I've heard them before so I like the fact that these stories were more inspired by fairy tales certainly you could see threads of Beauty and the Beast etc but it wasn't just a straight retelling it takes that idea and goes somewhere completely different which made the stories feel really fresh and I just very much like this one not every story in the collection is traditional horror and not every story in the collection is necessarily tied to fairy tales Yet, I can honestly say that I liked every single story in the collection, and that never happens to me. Not everyone was a personal favorite, but I honestly enjoyed it, and when I reread this collection, which I absolutely will, I don't plan on skipping a single story, which is something that I don't often get to say when I'm reviewing a short story collection. In terms of scariness, I would go with Room Temperature. While there were certainly some creepier moments and imagery in some of the stories, I wouldn't call the stories actually scary, especially since some of them are more fantastical than horror. But regardless, I cannot recommend this entire collection enough. I absolutely love it if you can't tell. So again, that is Cry Your Way Home by Damien Angelica Walters. And so my final pick is what many people consider to be a classic. And Actually, when you look up you know, horror fairy tales, this is going to be your number one hit that comes up. And that is The Bloody Chamber and Other Stories by Angela Carter. So as I mentioned, when you look up dark fairy tales at all, if you're looking into this, this is going to be the book you have to read. So these are dark feminist retellings of fairy tales. The titular story, of course, The Bloody Chamber, is a retelling of Bluebeard, which I actually did know before I read it. <laughs> I will say the writing in this was fantastic. Like I would say I describe a lot of books as literary, but I would say this is like capital L literary. The writing is very poetic and there was a lot of times, there was a couple times where I was reading where I just had to stop what I was reading and just underline beautiful phrasing. So if you're someone who appreciates great writing and great prose, this is a really good collection. Um, a lot of people will say that this isn't scary, but I felt like there was a definite sense of dread throughout the Bloody Chamber story. Yet like as I read it, I was like, oh no, like he's going to come back. Get, get out of there. What are you doing still there? Like I was like you do having a conversation with your book. <laughs> Of course. Some people yell at movies. Steph yells at a book. This is a collection. So we've got a couple different retellings in here. Um, one of them includes like a Beauty and the Beast retelling, among others. As far as ratings go, I would say this is room temperature. I did feel a sense of dread throughout the Bloody Chamber story, but I would say it's very slow moving. There is a lot of atmosphere. Like if you like gothic stories where you just like crawl into the book and just like live in the gorgeous atmosphere, this is a great story for you. If you want something that's going to scare you or is fast paced, this might not be the collection for you, but I absolutely adored it. And if any of the things that I said sound great about it, I definitely would check it out. That is The Bloody Chamber by Angela Carter. Ready for some chilling obsessions? I am ready. That sounded so convincing. I am so ready. Um, my chilling obsession this week is a game that I've been playing a lot of, like a lot of lately. Uh, it's called Vampire. V-A-M-P-Y-R. Um, this is third person kind of action adventure RPG game. Um, <laughs> it's, you take control of Dr. Jonathan Reed, 
Uh, it takes place in 1918 London. And you are this uh, blood transfusion kind of specialist, like this renowned doctor who was killed and wakes up and finds himself as a vampire. Um, so this game is literally you are going through London. You are finding sick people and treating them to try and keep this big epidemic kind of under control while figuring out how you became a vampire your maker and stuff like this and then there's also these like conspiracies of vampire hunter groups and vampire illuminati kind of operating in the background as well um for those listening that are into video games think fallout 3 slash skyrim kind of open world um questing leveling up kind of uh storytelling and gameplay but combat kind of like dark souls or bloodborne which all of this sounds absolutely Greek to Steph, I'm pretty sure. But those that play video games and <laughs> listen to this will, will most likely understand what I'm referring to. It's a really well-crafted narrative. Um, most of the time, the games that really get to me are the ones that have this really heavy story-driven element to it, which is why I try to recommend... When I do recommend a game for my chilling obsession... I try to make it something like this because we're all readers here for the most part. Everyone listening to this podcast, 99% chance you are a reader and you enjoy storytelling. Um, this is a really amazing storytelling opportunity. Um, it's really well done. The characters are compelling and heartbreaking and aggravating. And it's just all around a good time. So, yeah, my chilling obsession is a game called Vampire. Well, I finally went to go see It Chapter 2. Oh my god, Steph, this is the first time you're doing a chilling obsession that I have seen as well. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I get excited. Okay, well, I definitely want to hear what you think after I say what I think about it. Okay, so here's the thing, is that on one hand, I can count that, on one hand, I'd like to point out that there's a lot of things that I didn't like or that didn't quite work for me. But at the end of the day, I really enjoyed myself. So it was like a positive experience. Uh, so for example, I thought Bill Hader as Richie was amazing. I really liked his humor, which looking online, some people had an issue with and said that it didn't go with the movie. But I forget all those people. I loved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for me, it absolutely worked. I think he and the actor that played eddie so like ziggy sabatka from the wire uh that's not the actor's name james ransom so bully Hader and james ransom for me were the best physically i thought the casting was amazing like everyone looked like their younger counterpart uh but i thought that some of the actors didn't have a ton of chemistry together especially the people that were supposed to have romantic chemistry it didn't feel it was as believable on my end uh also the cgi wasn't my favorite but it was also something i did not really enjoy in the first one and i will say at the climax of the movie i am gonna say something i thought it was dumb (laughs) you thought it was dumb yes i was like watching it i'm like i'm sorry is this what's happening right now is this what i'm watching But like I said, with the way it wrapped up and maybe just the sentimentality of the story itself in part one and part two, at the end of the day, I enjoyed it, even though it doesn't sound like it. (laughs) This actually has me really intrigued because not only is it going to be a different perspective because me and you think 
very differently about horror in general. But I went into It Chapter 2 without watching It Chapter 1. Interesting. So I only had the book to base what's happening on. I had no idea necessarily any con- any conflict with the part one at all. So my, my experience going into this was just with the book and then watching this movie. Um, and I actually really did like it. Like It was really well done. There was things that were from the book that I remember that weren't in the original miniseries, like the, uh, the gay couple at the very opening of the movie. Yeah, that was hard. It to was watch. hard to watch, but like I said, it is from the source material. Yeah, no, it's it's straight from the book. Yeah, definitely. And and it and it fits. But, like it was really good, impactful way to start off that story. Um, very difficult to watch, as you said. Yes. Uh, but no, I actually really liked it. Like, it, I agree. There wasn't a whole lot of chemistry between some of the characters. I honestly didn't think. Um, Bev and uh, not Bill, Ben. Bev and Ben. It's mm-hmm. like that. The chemistry that again, comparing it to the book, I felt like that was kind of lackluster. Um, yeah. But just looking at it strictly as a movie and an adaptation, I think they did a really good job with it. The casting was really good, in spite of a few hiccups that way. Um. I like some of the changes they made, like, without going to spoilers, but, like, the role that Bev's husband plays beyond just her I opening. Was... I'm, I'm yeah. glad of the change they made there. I am, too. Because that part of the book didn't make a whole lot of, It was almost pointless in the book, um, his role in that. So I'm glad to see that happen. But, yeah, the final battle with it. The way... You're right. Now that I'm remembering <laughs> the way that it ended, the way... The, the climax of the fight, like, it made as much sense as the original ending, <laughs> which yeah, isn't which a compliment. Is, which I, I also loved, I also loved the self-awareness uh, about the bad ending. Oh my God, yes. Like, I went to this with my sister and the whole time I was explaining to her, I was like, listen, Bill is a stand-in for Stephen King himself. There's, they're saying he can't, he writes absolute garbage endings. People say this about Stephen King. Oh, and yeah. Oh, I love that running gag. That was awesome. And uh, I think my favorite part of the movie was when they all have to split up and find their tokens and they all have to face their fears. Like, I thought that was my favorite part of the first movie, just seeing how Pennywise appears right. to each of them. And then it gave it gave an excuse for them all to be in different places for their respective scenes to play out. Unlike in the in the book where it was just more or less random chance they were they didn't know what they were kind of doing and just split off but this made it way more like it was planned like it was what they were meant to do um so yeah i loved that a lot of those scenes i thought were very well done i loved bev's scene uh which was the trailer that i think was one of like the first trailers that came out was her which again is lifted mostly from the book that whole exchange Mm -hmm. i like that and then uh, Richie's, like, Paul Bunyan. Oh, my God. That was cool. Deal. That's, that CG was horrible, <laughs> that but that was, was a cool scene. Um, what I liked, to get the positives about it again, is 
in this movie, they kind of pulled out a lot of the mystical, oh, we were bound to do this. This was our destiny. We were meant to do this kind of thing. Like a lot of in when you read the book is almost like the kids just believe and therefore things happen because of fate. And I find the movie was a lot more practical. It was still supernatural, but they were more practical in what they did. And um, yeah, it was a lot more more grounded, if if that makes sense for this movie, than it was in the book. Yeah. Like, as an adaptation, I really liked it. There was a lot of things that they added that I enjoyed. There was a lot of things they cut out that I agreed with. Um, And like I said, at the end of the day, like, when I left the theater, I had positive feelings about it overall. Like, it was overall a positive experience. (laughs) Even though I always point out the negatives so people think I don't like things. (laughs) What happens to Stanley in the way it felt like in this movie they were justifying it like making Stanley to be more redeemable for what he did. It was an interesting take on it. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it at the end of the day. It's one of those things where it's like I can see the positives and the negatives to it and I don't know which one I fall on. Yeah, I think I prefer the original. The original makes more sense. It's it's less hand wavy mm-hmm. But yeah, it was good. Another thing that was great about it is I went to go see it. I was the third wheel. Uh, I went to go see it with my sister and her fiancé. Okay. And... Her fiance was scarred uh, by watching Tim Curry's performance as a child. The It Chapter 2 had a lot of jump scares and a lot of really good ones. <laughs> and it got my sister and her fiance like every time. Like, they were like jumping out of their seat. And there was a few that got me. Like what? Like when they are doing the final battle and Bev is in the water. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That one got me. <laughs> The the scene with Bev going back to her apartment was scary, but I knew the jump scare was coming because of the a trailer that came out. But there was just like a couple. The Paul Bunyan scene was very like jump scary. Yeah. Okay. It added to the enjoyable experience because they were like jumping out of their seats and like spilling popcorn. Wow. Because <laughs> you know that makes it a lot more fun. <laughs> that it does. So Books in the Fraser is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at BooksFreezerPod, on Instagram at Books in the Freezer, at Facebook at Facebook.com slash Books in the Freezer. We also have a group for Books in the Freezer if you would like to join that. You can send us an email at BooksInTheFreezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at BooksInTheFreezer.com. And we are on Patreon as Books in the Freezer. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. On Instagram at That's What She Read. That's with two A's. Or on YouTube as just That's What She Read. And I'm Devin. You can find me on Twitter at Reads, Or you can find me playing horror games on Twitch at Indie Insomniac. Join us next time for Books in the Freezer. Thank you.